It's good to see everybody tonight. It's good to be here. <clears throat> As Brother Justin mentioned, we're going to be finishing up Matthew chapter 15 this evening. And as we do that, uh, I want to say a couple of things. Number one, we're going to be jumping in and out of Matthew 15 and also Mark chapter 7, uh, just like we did during our study of Matthew 14, because it is a parallel account, and it gives us a few different details than Matthew. They're not contradicting details, but more details in one than the other, and some explain the other. And so that's helpful for our understanding in that way. And uh, I don't have all the scriptures on the PowerPoint tonight because we're going to have more lengthy readings than we typically would instead of just going verse by verse by verse. Uh, we're going to do some lengthier readings, not lengthy, but lengthier than what I normally would put on the PowerPoint. And uh, as we begin our study tonight, I want you to grab your Bible or electronic device or whatever you prefer to read out of. And we're going to start by reading Matthew 15 verses 21 through 28 and then we're going to jump over into mark chapter 7 and we're going to read a small uh, excerpt from mark chapter 7 and this is just going to be able to help give us our bearings tonight so matthew chapter 15 i will be reading from the new king james version uh, matthew 15 verse 21 then jesus went out from there and departed to the regions of tyre and sidon and behold a woman of canaanite or canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Before we turn to Mark chapter 7, I want to pick up two more verses in this chapter. One is in verse 29. Jesus departed from there, that is from the, the region of Tyre and Sidon, skirted the Sea of Galilee and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Hold your place just and go all the way to the bottom of the chapter. i got a purpose for this. All the way at the bottom of the chapter. It says, And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Okay? So hold on to that. He's went to Tyre and Sidon. He's left there now. He's departed from there, and it tells us where he has gone. And then once he gets to this place, he then ends up in Magdala. And we'll, I'll show you just a second on the PowerPoint where we're at. Uh, but go over to Mark chapter 7 with me. Let's read Mark's account of this. And we're going to start in verse 24 and just read down through verse 30. Uh, verse 31, rather. Okay. Mark 7, verse 24. So this is the same account with a few, you'll notice a few more and different details here. It says, from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, 
for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so let's get our bearings and let's, let's talk about where Jesus has gone and where he's been. And, and I want to do this for a reason because this is very fascinating to me. So this area is mentioned here in Mark 7 of Syrophoenicia, which is where this woman is from. And Syrophoenicia was a combination of two nations. It was the Syrian people and the Phoenician people, and they were dwelling in this land. It wasn't a city. Uh, it was a region, and we'll talk about that region here. So here's Tyre and Sidon. Both are these port cities. They were centers of great wealth. And you'll remember these cities, especially Tyre, uh, if you go back and look in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel where God actually tells Ezekiel to put up a lamentation against the king of Tyre and then against the prince of Tyre because they were such wealthy nations, wealthy, wealthy not nations, but cities that they had become completely corrupt because of their economic success. And so Jesus is down here in this area right here close to Capernaum. How do we know that? Remember our study from Mark 14 where Jesus had ended up over in the wilderness somewhere over on the east side of Galilee and he'd fed the 5,000 and later they went out into the middle of the sea. You remember that story? They were out in the middle of the sea. Jesus came walking on the water and they end up over here in the land of Genesaret, which is from here to here. And it literally means shaped like a harp. That's what uh, the Old Testament word kinnereth, that's translated in the Greek, genesaret or gunesaret, actually means. So they're in this region, and it says that he left that region, and he went to Tyre and Sidon. This is about 30 miles. They go 30 miles to Tyre and Sidon. Why'd they go to Tyre and Sidon? Well, Mark tells us, okay? Back in our reading in Mark chapter 7, we notice it in the first two verses. It says, From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Do you remember what happened in, in Matthew 14? Jesus left the multitudes, and he went and he told the disciples, Let's get away from here. You guys don't even have any time to even eat. And they got to where they were going in the wilderness, and there's this multitude of people waiting for them. You know, there were times Jesus got away from the crowds. And in this instance, he goes to this house, and he doesn't want anybody to know that he's there. But it says he could not be hidden because there was one woman, one woman, this Syrophoenician woman that had heard about Jesus. And where'd she hear about him? How'd she know about Jesus? Turn over to Mark chapter 3 with me for just a moment. Mark chapter 3. And verse 8. <clears throat> okay, so let's jump up to verse 7 just to pick up the context here. It says, But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. Now listen, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, which is the land of Edom, which is south of Israel. And he says, and beyond the Jordan and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, 
when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So Jesus is next to the Sea of Galilee. So he's down here. And this says that multitudes came from all over the region. They came from way south, down here, if there was a map, from Idumea, from the land of Edom. They came from Jerusalem. They came from over here, from Decapolis. They came from Tyre and Sidon. So these people that came down and they were healed by Jesus, they end up going back to Tyre and Sidon. So that's probably where this woman has heard about Jesus. And so when Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon, he's not able to keep himself completely private. This woman comes and seeks him out because she has a problem that she wants Jesus to address. Hold on to that for a moment. We're going to study about this woman in a moment. But I want to finish our kind of where are we at. So Jesus ends up in Tyreside, and he interacts with this woman, and then he leaves. Do you know that it doesn't tell us that he did anything else while he was there except for go to this house and interact with this woman? 30 miles he travels all the way to these huge cities, these centers of trade and in all four gospels the only thing that's told to us about what happens in this area is his interaction with one person now am i trying to assume that that's all that happened there no but i will say this when the holy spirit inspired the writers to write the gospels that's the only encounter that they chose to write about that's important Something happened between Jesus and this woman that was important for us to see and notice. So Jesus leaves there. And Mark and Matthew both give us an idea about where they go from there. So I'm going to expand the map out a little bit. They've been up here between Tyre and Sidon in this region. And then Mark tells us that they actually go through the center of Decapolis and end up back on the Sea of Galilee. So they travel all the way around, not through the water, but all the way around, and they come out on the east side through Decapolis, that's this area over here, and they end up back on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and this is the, where we're going to read here in a moment, where he feeds the 4,000. So those are two separate events, where he fed the 5,000 up here, and then later feeds the 4,000 down here. And then it says they took a ship, and that was there at the end of the chapter. And they went over to the land, the region of Magdala, which is where Mary Magdalene is from. That wasn't her last name. She was Mary from Magdala, Mary Magdalene. So that was her name. Uh, it was her name given to her because of her location. And that was very common. So Mary Magdala is from this region, which is close to the region where Peter and them are from. Peter's born in Bethsaida, but they lived over in the area of Capernaum. And, uh, and, in, and, and around Caesarea. So they end up over here in Magdala, and they make this big, long trip up to Tyre and come back around here and then back over. A lot of, lot of traveling that they did to, to reach these different regions and for Jesus to do his work. So to just expand out and give you a better idea, Tyre and Sidon are a long ways from Jerusalem, Okay. This is about 40 miles from Capernaum to Jerusalem, close to 40 or 45 miles. And then this is another 30 miles. So when he gets out here, he's a long ways away. But the reason he ends up out here is because of what Justin studied with us uh, last week, where these Pharisees actually traveled all the way from Jerusalem up around Capernaum just to come confront Jesus. They're trying to stop his ministry. He told them some pretty hard things, and then he leaves the region, and he doesn't want anybody to know it. That's not the first and only time this happens in his ministry. It's not his time yet, okay? 
It's not his time to be taken. But these men are plotting and they're planning. And Jesus ends up in Tyre and Sidon. And we'll pick up our reading back once again and talk about this woman. And talk about why that the Holy Spirit inspired Mark and Matthew to write to us about this woman. Okay, so back in Matthew chapter 15. I want to notice three different parties that were present. I want to notice the disciples, I want to notice her, and then I want to notice Jesus and some different things about how they're all perceiving this situation. Then I'm going to tell you something uh, rather bizarre that I heard last week uh, about this story. And uh, you'll just have to wait to hear this bizarre uh, interpretation and conclusion of this story. Um, So back in Matthew 15 verse 21. Jesus ends up in Tyre and Sidon. We'll pick up in verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region. So why does he tell us a woman from Canaan? This whole region is the land of Canaan, okay? And, but, but the Canaan was a phrase that the Jews used to distinguish them, Israel, from the heathen. So this woman's not a Jew. In fact, we know this by the conversation Jesus has with her. She's not a Jew. She's a Syrophoenician by birth. That's what Mark tells us. She's from this region that's highlighted up here uh, in this light kind of uh, pinkish color up here. And so this is the land she's from. She's not of the house of Israel. She's a Canaanite woman. She comes to Jesus and it says that she cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, is that common for us to hear that phrase? Sure. We, I mean, we read that all through the New Testament, right? People refer to Jesus as the son of David. What's not common, though, is for a heathen, a pagan, to call him the son of David. You know why? Because people who knew him as the son of David knew the Old Testament. and They knew the prophecies concerning Christ. And even when Jesus encountered his, the Pharisees, he asked them, he said, he said, tell me about Christ. Whose son is he? And they said, the son of David. Where they get that? From the prophets. So evidently this woman knew more than just that Jesus was a healer. She had heard who he was. That he was the son of David. And she referred to him not as healer. She referred to him as Lord, son of David. So that tells us something about this woman. And, and, and what her perception is of Jesus as she encounters him. And so she's crying out and she wants Jesus to give her his attention. But he doesn't. He doesn't give her his attention. Not at first. So she cries out saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, Not a word. Now, it doesn't say he didn't look at her. It doesn't say he didn't acknowledge that she was there. But he didn't say anything. Why? I think he was testing her. And I also think he was testing his disciples. Notice their reaction. Look at verse 23 again. He answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him. Okay? They urged him. Now, what's that mean they urged him? They strongly suggested that he send her away. Why? Why? Because she crieth out for us. 
So let's kind of try to put this in perspective. They're walking, the disciples are walking, and there's this woman following them, and she keeps going, Lord, son of David, help me, help me. And she's screaming after these guys, and finally they go to Jesus, because he's not saying a word to her, and they go, get rid of her. Look what she's doing. Basically, they're saying, hey, get her out of the way so we don't have to deal with her anymore. I mean, she's going to keep following us. Now, you could look at this one of two ways. You could look at it as they just want him to get rid of her, just tell her, hey, you just go away. But I think if you look at Jesus' answer to them, what does Jesus say to them? What does Jesus say? He said, I am come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So what did Jesus think they meant by send her away for she cried for us? He recognized that they were saying just heal her already so she'll go away. And so Jesus tests his disciples and he says, Hey, I've only come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why Would that bother them? They may not even been clicking on that until he said it. All they're thinking is, I know how we can get rid of her. Hey, Jesus, <laughs> go, go take care of this. Now listen to the encounter. Listen to the encounter that he has with her once again. And let's notice some details about this. And I want you to notice the language that he used here when he talked to his disciples. He used the language, lost sheep of the house of Israel. That has an idea around it. That idea of family. That idea of being part of the flock. But listen to the language that he uses with the woman. Okay, verse 25. Jesus answers them. Then she came and it says worshipped him. Now Mark says she fell down at his feet. I believe it means the exact same thing. And you read this word worship here and in the Greek it literally means to fall prostrate at someone's feet. Sometimes it can mean to kiss uh, or like a dog licks its masters. I think that's very interesting. But, but the, the thing is when she comes to him, she doesn't come standing evenly. She comes and she falls down before him and she begs him. And she says, Lord, help me. Help me. And here's what Jesus said. It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, if you're reading the King James, you'll notice it just says dogs. If you look at the Greek, it literally means a puppy. That's what it means, a puppy. Now, Jesus calls the lost sheep... Of the house of Israel, sheep, part of the flock, he calls this woman a dog. Now, I'm going to tell you the bizarre thing I heard last week. Some woke preacher somewhere put this viral video out about how Jesus made this racial slur toward this woman and she spoke truth to power and it made Jesus repent of his racism. Okay, that's ridiculous. That's not what's happening here at all. Here's what's happening. Jesus is not only testing the disciples, he's testing her. She knew what they thought about her. Because they thought they were dogs. And that wasn't a compliment. It wasn't a compliment. But I want you to think about this. Who is she asking healing for? Herself? Her daughter. Jesus didn't call her just a dog. He called her daughter a dog. Now, 
How do you think most people would react to that? I think they'd probably try to give someone a lecture or be a social justice warrior and let them know just how thoughtless and terrible it would be to refer to them as a dog. Not this woman. She just rolled with it. (laughs) Why? Because she didn't care. Go ahead, call me a dog. I'll be a dog. My daughter will be a dog. That's fine. Feed the children. But let me have the crumbs. And Jesus tells her, because of this saying, you will have what you desire. He calls her a woman of great faith. Why does Jesus call her a woman of great faith? And I believe that the first reason why he called her a woman of great faith is that this woman, her need was greater than her pride. And she knew exactly what she needed. And it wasn't to teach Jesus or speak power to truth. It had nothing to do with that. What this woman wanted was help from Jesus. And she recognized he could help her. She did not lecture him and say, hey, look, I'm just as worthy of your healing as your disciples. That was not even a thought. She just thought, we'll just let it be what it is, and I'll take whatever you give me. But please, help me. Psalms 51 tells us that God, the pleasing sacrifices to God, are a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And let me tell you, you got to be a broken heart to come begging and falling down and allowing someone to refer to you as a dog. You got to be broken. And this woman's broken. She is desperate, okay? Now, I've had some bad things happen to my children. I'm sure you have too. But I'll tell you, I've never had one of them possessed by a devil. I can't imagine the hopelessness that this woman lived in every single day as she looked at her daughter who was sick with a demon. This was a big day for her. And she wasn't going to let anything stop her. Not the disciples, not her pride. And Jesus said, you're a woman of great faith. I'll tell you another reason I think that this woman was a woman of great faith. And we're going to go back to Mark for just a moment in Mark chapter 7. You know, the disciples commented that she, she crieth after us. But Mark uses a little bit different language. It doesn't really mention the disciples here at all. But what it does mention is what this woman is doing. So we're going to go back to verse 25 and pick it up there and read verse 25 and 26. It says, For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. Now listen. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. That's another reason why Jesus said this woman was a great, a woman of great faith. Because she wasn't going to give up. I want us to turn our attention just for a moment to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We have studied this parable in the past, but I want to revisit this because I think that it, it gives us a better idea as to why 
Jesus would look at this woman and say, woman of great faith because of her persistence. And I believe this is why Jesus did not answer her. Because he's teaching us something here. Jesus doesn't answer. He's walking. The disciples, I mean, she didn't ask once. They're getting annoyed because she's just following them. And she keeps saying the same thing over and over. But Jesus did that for a teaching moment. And here Jesus teaches us something very similar in verse 18. Uh, chapter 18, rather, of Luke. Look at verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me for my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest... By her continual coming, she weary me. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is like the unjust judge. The disciples were more like the unjust judge in the, in the fact that she was wearying them. But that's not what Jesus is really teaching here. Notice verse 6 through 8. Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge him speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth. So think about this unjust judge for a moment. This widow comes to this judge, and Jesus tells us about the character of this man. And this man's character is this number one, he doesn't regard God, and number two, he doesn't care about man. Not really the guy you want to be in front of, because if he doesn't care about God, he probably doesn't care about being fair. He doesn't care about equity or morality or ethics, and he doesn't care about you. So you're, you're, you're kind of got an uphill battle here but he makes a point that here's this judge who really doesn't care about you really doesn't care about what's right but yet he grants the request why because of persistent asking and is he trying to say God's like that no he's he's saying listen this is how God is shall not God avenge his own elect Someone who is fair, someone who does care about what's right, and someone who looks at you and does care about you, and not only cares about you, identifies you as his own. How do you think, if this unjust judge does that when you're persistent, how do you think God will be when you're persistent? And here's the connection Jesus makes for us today. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? What do you mean by that? Here's what he meant. Will Jesus really find that God's own elect have that much trust and faith in him as the helper? Will he really find his people crying out day and night and asking and asking and requesting? See, Jesus said that's a sign of faith. And what did this woman do? She cried out, and she cried out over and over and over until Jesus stopped, and he addressed her, and he blessed her. And her daughter was healed. This is a great story for us to consider, and a story where really this woman, who's a woman of faith, was not an Israelite. And I believe that makes it even more powerful. So let's turn our attention back to Matthew 15 now. And we're going to move on from the Syrophoenician woman here. 
Okay, so verse 29, uh, after Jesus encounters this woman, uh, she goes back home and her daughter, it says, was healed. When she got there, was laying down. And in verse 29, Jesus departed from there and it says he skirted the Sea of Galilee. And, and what it means he skirted is that he went around the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so he went around it. That's what it means by skirted. He, he went along the coasts. And he went up on a mountain and sat down there. Okay, sounds a lot like chapter 14, doesn't it? Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. Now, this is actually the place where Jesus is, where um, it's in Mark's account, where this man comes to Jesus and he's got a speech impediment. And Jesus actually, and he, and he also is deaf. And so you've, you've heard a deaf person talk, they've got a speech impediment naturally. And it's because they've never heard. This man had never heard, so he's just kind of guessing what it sounds like. And that's why they have a speech impediment. So Jesus heals his hearing, and then Jesus spits on his hand, and he puts it on the man's tongue, and his speech impediment leaves, and he speaks clearly. This is the same story. And so these people, they marveled at Jesus' healing. And so that's what it tells us here, that, that they marveled at this. In verse 31, the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking. The maimed made whole, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. So this sounds very similar to, Mark chapter, uh, to Matthew chapter 14, but, but this is a little bit different. He hasn't had this same encounter with them for several days. And, and now Jesus is, is talking to the multitude and healing the multitude. And he's worried about them trying to go back home. And they haven't eaten in so long. He's worried that they won't have the strength to do it. And so this is what I want us to notice. Verse 33. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Let's just stop for a minute. Okay. So, do you, do you remember when we looked at chapter 14, and it says that Jesus came out onto them, walking on the sea, and he stepped in the boat, and immediately the wind ceased, and it says about the disciples that they marveled because they did not understand the loaves. And the connection we made there, that when Jesus did that with the loaves, they should have made the connection then. You are truly the Son of God. But it took him getting in the boat for them to go, Oh, truly you are the Son of God. And they've already witnessed this. And now Jesus says, Hey, we need to get him something to eat. And they said, Where are we going to get that much bread? We've got great faith in this chapter. And we've got not so great faith in this chapter. And I'm not picking on the disciples. It just, you can see their struggle. And see how they, they become, it became so uh, such a custom, it became so normal for them to travel with Jesus. Sometimes it seems like they forgot who they were with. And so Jesus says, okay, well, how much food do you have? Because that's really their question. How are we going to get that much food out here in the middle of nowhere? And Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. Now, I have been told that a few little fish was not like the, the trout that the, that the boys have been bringing home. You know, these little trout that we 
uh, filleted up. Me and Monty did for them, and they, they're about this long, somewhere about that long. And, and we, we got a pretty good little mess of trout after we did all that. But that their fish they were carrying were just little fish, and they were typically garnish for the bread. It was to give the bread some flavor. So not really a lot of nutrition, just something to go along with the bread. Now, what did Jesus do here? He did what he did in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 14. It says he commanded the multitude to sit on the ground. Verse 36, he took the seven loaves and the fish, gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So, did Jesus break them up in tiny little pieces, and everybody ate a tiny little piece and were filled? Well, that's kind of the idea I've always had uh, growing up. But then if you notice, in verse 37, it says, They all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Okay? At the beginning of this, they've got seven loaves. At the end, they've got seven baskets full. So yeah, he broke it up. But there ends up being more bread than there was when they began. And what were the disciples worried about? Where are we going to get enough bread? It was more than enough. They had a surplus. And everybody was full. You know, when you're with the Lord... There is no, where are we going to get enough? Because he wants to fill our cup over the brim. And that's what we see over and over about the blessings of God. That God is going to give us exceedingly, abundantly more. And sometimes I think, we think, where are we going to get enough? Just like these men did. And Jesus said, okay, what do you got? <laughs> You know what? It didn't matter. I mean, it really didn't matter how much they had. If they'd had one loaf, they'd had a half a loaf, he'd have made it happen. But they were worried, I guess you could say, about the science of the situation and not about the man that created the science of the situation. Because Jesus was not subject to science. He's not subject to natural he is more powerful than nature, more powerful than science. Ending our chapter of the night, it says, Now those who ate, in verse 38, were 4,000 men besides women and children. So I've always heard it said he fed the 5,000, then he fed the 4,000. But here, Matthew makes a distinction. That was 4,000 men. And there were women and children too. So I don't know how many thousand there were. But it was a great multitude that Jesus fed with seven loaves of bread and two fishes. Verse 39, he sent away the multitude, got in the boat, and went to Magdala, which is right here on this west side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also called Lake Tiberias, or sometimes it's referred to as the Lake of Gennesaret. And so that's where we'll pick up our study uh, in the next chapter, that's where they'll be, is in that region of Magdala. I hope that the study has been a benefit to you tonight. Uh, I believe that the study, especially of this Syrophoenician woman, has been very stirring. Uh, it's been a good uh, place of measurement, if you will, a good place of examination to look at. And uh, I hope that it's blessed you tonight. We're, we never like to end without offering an invitation, so if you were subject to the invitation, if you 
like to obey the gospel this evening, or if you have obeyed the gospel, and you would like prayers for some reason, any reason at all, uh, just come and have a seat, and we will help you as we stand and we sing number 920. <laughs>